Tyler Jonathan. Happy Purple Week. <laughs> Is that what we're calling this now? <laughs> Let's not call it that. Let's, Let's call not. it something else. Let's call, <laughs> Let's call it, it Lent. <laughs> How about Lent? Hey, how's your Lent going? Well, we are, what, four days in, five days in? Yeah, we just uh, had the first Sunday of Lent. The world decided to give the state of Texas the best Ash Wednesday beginning of Lent <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. Was the big storm on Ash Wednesday? It No, it started the Monday before. Okay. So yeah. we had, we did have power Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. right up until dinner time. Like right before dinner, the power went out. I got to tell you, that sounds like a really cool band name. Power Ash Wednesday. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but the the real problem, so we had powers off and on, and that's, you know, that's whatever. It sucks, but whatever. The real problem was every basically the entire state, maybe this was just Houston, but I think it's everybody, lost water pressure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Horrible. So, like, no showers. We were filling jugs. And then we get this boil order. So you've got to boil all your water before you use it. It's like, oh my God, I suck at drinking water regularly to begin with. And now right. that I have to boil it first. No, no, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. So, I mean, I've been feeling just kind of crappy because I think I'm, I'm not dehydrated, but certainly it's a step down from the amount of water I've been drinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's my Lent. It's been penitential. <laughs> How yeah. about you? Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been good here. Uh, Lent Lent has been normal, pretty pretty. Uh, I mean, Lent within COVID time. Uh, so it started off pretty pretty good. And today was the first Sunday. I had a couple of I had mass and got to preach, which is great. Um, I didn't I did preach on Ash Wednesday as well, but I was in house, so it was very low key. Um, but yeah, no, things are shaping up. You know, in my uh, in my homily today, I um, <laughs> I I did mention. Like the very first thing I said to the congregation was, it, "It's a little strange to be celebrating Lent or starting Lent because it doesn't feel like we ever ended last year's Lent." Yeah, I mentioned that today too. <laughs> uh, but then I tied that into like that's part of the wisdom of a liturgical calendar is mm-hmm. that like we get interrupted uh, yeah. in the ho hum nature of life to like oh let's 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 get back to it let's focus let's refocus so I kind of like tied it into that and I started talking a little bit about what Lent kind of means uh, in light of... I, I was really taken in our conversation last week about the focus on the covenant, you know, and how we paired up the Jesus Jesus in the desert with Noah, you know, and the yeah. covenant. And I, yeah. I sort of mentioned, like, if you look at the gospel, it begins right after Jesus' baptism, which Peter calls what happens with Noah. Like, that's what baptism is. It's the, it's the, it's the, the covenant, you know? So our baptism is our covenant. But Jesus, after that, goes into the desert so that he can do something at the end. And we didn't... We didn't talk about this last week, which I thought mm-hmm. was surprising. At the end of the gospel, once John has been arrested, then Jesus goes to preach. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you should head for the hills. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But no, he has the courage he to goes go forward. and move forward, which is what we're supposed to do to like to validate our alliance with God. But we need that time in between in the desert, which I called sort of a time of training. That's what I sort of preached yeah. on is, is Lent as a time of training and not just a time of retreating. Um, but we're in the desert to train for battle, you know? And so what are we doing to help prepare us for mm. for the mission? You know? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I preached something similar. I, I focused, like I was talking about last week, I focused on 
this healing aspect and how, you know, I was very struck that both the first reading and the gospel didn't give us like the, um, so we didn't have men falling into sin, needing the wrath of God in the first reading. And we didn't have the temptations in the gospel reading. Right. And I, I kind of met, brought up and mentioned that, it, you know, in some ways, in some ways, I don't think that we need that because we all live that <laughs> every day. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. you can put, you know, and for, for us in Texas, quite literally, we, we lived a flood moment where things were destroyed. Power right. was out. People have died. Um, so this is a very serious issue that we can now, and this is what I love, and this is exactly what I was talking about last week with it not being an allegory, that we can now put our own, apply our own experiences into the scripture account. And so my challenge was, okay, this is the reality of our world. Bad things are happening to good people. Right. What do what do we do? Mm, yeah. Uh, and that's and I think that's what you're talking about with Jesus going out. Like that's what we're called to do, to go out and to be and to be better. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's really great. Um, I did. Uh, I did hesitate a little bit with like, I, I'm not a big fan of the formulaic Lenten homily. You know, around this is what fasting is. This is what yeah. giving is. This is what Prayer is. I did mention them though as sort of like techniques within training. Yeah. Um, like if we're here to train, then these are ways in which you know good athletes in the spiritual life have trained. You know. But I really exhorted everyone to like have one thing that they did this Lent to help train them for, uh, yeah. for the mission. You know. Um, you know. Yeah. Keep going. I was just gonna say one last thing is that I I made a little bit of a homily stumble. Uh, I I went out of my comfort zone and made an analogy with sports sport <laughs> and, and i immediately regretted going down that alley because i was like oh how do i get out of this cold sack because i don't know what i'm talking about yeah yeah you know i guess this is my homiletic hot take for this week i don't really the more i preach i get that there is a teaching aspect to the homily to the sermon mm-hmm I'm tempted to say that it really shouldn't be a catechetical moment. Yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you. What would you call that it needs to be instead? Uh, a kergamatic <laughs> experience. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, pro I'm, yeah. a proclamation of the good news. Dude, I'm totally with you. I, I think that the catechesis aspect of homilies is important, but fair, to be fair, I think this moment in the church's life, like catechesis happens in a lot of different ways. But what really is missing is exhorting people to conversion and exhorting yeah. people to to living a life of faith and not and, just and I, yeah learning, I do you know? I do believe that we we are in desperate desperate need of good catechesis that that's that has been a deficiency in our up in my personally in my own upbringing but but is the homily the time for that I don't think so Ah uh, yeah I'm 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 like ninety percent sure that that's not the time for it um, even though it is a part of homiletics I think that. What was really needed now is people need to be introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ and be exhorted to live a life of holiness. Like yeah. That's that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, uh, how can we... So like the charisma and preaching the the revelation of Christ as the Son of God, like we have the transfiguration, you know, coming up. Like that's that's a really powerful image for that, of who is this man, Jesus Christ. Like we could look at every gospel like we've mentioned many times before, as sort of a footnote to that question of who is this man. 
And like last week with the first Sunday, we had his baptism and temptations. But now we have his revelation and his divinity as the fulfillment of the prophets and the fulfillment of the law. Um, So like there's something there that could, you know, dovetail into that. I don't know what, what else you might do with it. Yeah, I mean, I think there is. So, okay, okay. Here's a trap that I think we can fall into, that I can fall into when we are approached with this Abraham story of only focusing on this, on the test. Why would God test Abraham in such a ridiculous way? He knew he wasn't going to sacrifice his son, you know, the, uh, et cetera. This is the homily we hear every year. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, but instead, I really like what we've kind of, the direction that we've been going in our, in, you know, in the past few weeks about looking at this kind of at a, a more of a distanced perspective where we're looking not at the particulars of what Abraham is going through. Those are important. Don't get me wrong. But instead, looking at this in, in more of a covenantial language, a more of a covenant lens yes. yeah. Yeah. of of this man, Abraham, has given up everything uh, and still struggles. <laughs> That's us. Like, this mm-hmm. whole thing is mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find, I, and I'm still kind of trying to figure that out and how I'm going to tie all of this in together. Um, but I want to say that that is sort of a, mm, mm, man, I don't know if I can say this. I want to say that this is kind of a, insofar as we imitate Christ to be the true Christian, we are imitating this, mm, okay, this may be heresy. Are, do we imitate the transfiguration? Are we, we, we are not transfigured as Christ was transfigured, showing his own divinity. Mm-hmm. But how do we participate in that? And I think there's a transformation that happens with Abraham. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, you know, we we speak, of, and this is the rev, this is the um, what, what's the word? Uh, metanoia. This is the the conversion of turning, turning your heart towards something new. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's a transformation there of sorts. It's not a transfigurement, perhaps. Sure. No. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, and so, I, I, let me see if I'm picking up the thread of where you're going with this. Is like, Abraham was not the same man. Uh, from the moment of his call to the moment of the fulfillment of his call to become the father of nations. Like Moses goes through a transformation as well, you know, when he encounters the burning bush. Like something needs to change in a person yeah. um, in their encounter with the living God. And so like perhaps this is why people always rail on Peter, you know, with the transfiguration, which I don't think is fair because there's nothing here that shows us that Peter did anything wrong. Like Jesus doesn't correct him, but maybe we do rail against him a little bit because he's unwilling maybe to like move beyond that moment. Like, I don't know. That's the thing what people typically say, mm-hmm. like what's required is like an, an internalization of the mystery of an encounter with God and letting that transfigure us or change us, transform us um, into something new, something, something radiant, something beautiful. Um, like Moses's face glowed, you know, yeah, with the radiance of yeah. God. Um, yeah, I mean, does, now, does an encounter with living God change you? Like it should. Yeah. So I here here's what I wonder, and I, I know I, I I harp on this particular verse a lot. Uh, it means a, it really does mean a lot to me. The the rich official um, that Jesus tells him, you know, you know the law, you know the commandments. Do that. Follow the prophets. That's where we begin. It's not where we end. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if this. And and gospel and and Mark in our gospel is is Jesus being even more direct. Here we are doing what we need to do, and Jesus is kind of saying, "This is not enough. <laughs> we need to move on. We need to realize that 
that th- that these were a mean. This is a means to an end. So uh, okay, I'm gonna push back because I, I I don't see that reading of the transfiguration in the text itself, but it seems to be what we generally say is happening. That Jesus gets mad at Peter for wanting to stay on the mountain. I don't like, think. Yeah, I don't think that that I'm not reading that, um, because he doesn't say that. Right. Um, you know, I think w- what we like to, what we do is we we think of that line where he says, "Get behind me, Satan," and that's mm, yeah, yeah. not here. Right. Um. So. Kind of like um. Well, anyway. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but okay, I so, do think, but I do think that there is a way of recognizing who we are and where we've come from, uh, mm-hmm. the law, the prophets, mm-hmm. and recognizing that that's where we begin. That's not where we end. So, like Peter needs to move toward Jerusalem. Like, well, think about what the what the voice said. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He didn't say mm-hmm. listen to Moses or listen to Elijah. Right. Listen to him. Right. Mm-hmm, but you can't mm-hmm. you can't get there without Moses or Elijah, without mm-hmm. the law of the prophets. Yeah, how are you tying this to Abraham? I'm losing that connection. Well, that's what I'm still struggling with. That I don't know. You know, Abraham, in a sense, represents neither the law nor the prophets. He's the patriarchs. He's the first. You know, the covenant. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there could be that connection there that he he pre he prefigures even that even Moses. Hmm. Um, so we're going back not only to, not only to the law, to our foundation, but to where the law came from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus Maybe. is the fulfillment of Abraham. You know, he's the fulfillment yeah. of the covenant. Yeah. I'm feeling a lot of this is really still kind of loose to me. Like what, where I'm, I'm having a hard time sinking my teeth into what, like, cause both of them are very vivid gospel, like very, very vivid re- readings. You know, you could do a whole extrapolation from the encounter with Moses, with uh, Abraham and talk about Lent as a time of sacrifice, Lent as a time to offer the good, you know, to, I think that's kind of played out. Like that kind of talk around Lent is a little bit tried and tried. It is true, but it's a little tried. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I like the, this, you know, the, the goat and the horns in the thistle, like that prefiguring the cross, prefiguring the death on Calvary, like that, that imagery is helpful. Like, I don't really know what to do with that. Uh, you know, you have the glory in the transfiguration and the death in the first reading. Like, there's the whole Paschal mystery that's sort of on display here. How to tie that into Lent is a little bit weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss, man, because what's yeah. the point of putting these two readings together? Like, it's kind of <laughs> like the weird the weird thing of putting Noah together with the temptations. Like, why? Why would you do that? You know, <laughs> why would you put Abraham next to this? It's almost as if they're not intentionally put together. Like, like the first readings would be this and the gospels would be this irrespective of each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what would be interesting and I should have done this before recording is to look at the, at the propers for mass, because we talked about this last week that they do, they do have a thing like today we had the preface for, the temptation. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I don't, like I said, I forgot to look, but is there a preface for the transfiguration or, mm. or are we moving on to, to a different theme, a liturgical theme that the readings tie into? I don't, yeah, I don't really know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No idea. No idea. Um, okay. So I just have a couple of things to underline from the gospel that have, stood out to me a little bit. One thing I underlined was 
um, they had no idea what to say because they were so scared. <laughs> that was uh, something that stands out to me. And also they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Um, and both of those lines, there's clearly like, we can put ourselves in the place of the disciples of like, just being overwhelmed with confusion of yeah. like being terrified, not knowing what to say, kind of pretending to understand what the resurrection is, but not really knowing, like maybe that <laughs> is part of what the mystery is this weekend that I could preach on is like, we, 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 we do not preach Christ unless we preach Christ resurrected and dead on the cross and res- raised on the third day. But like we don't really understand what the resurrection means. Like we, it's hard. Like that's not a clear mystery. Like what does it mean for a man to be raised from the dead? But like to wrestle with that mystery is important. You know, to that's part of what the wrestling of Lent is. It's trying to figure out what does this mean for me in my life. You know, to have right. Jesus have risen from the dead. You know. Now it's interesting though that you and I. I think that's a, a really good point. This is the second time we're hearing this line. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We heard it in chapter one of Mark mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the baptism, and then again, what what is it? Ch- chapter like seven or eight. Uh, Peter himself proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah, right? And right. so to see it, I mean, I can, I this is where I can really put myself in the story. It's like, okay, yeah, we can say that. We can even hear other people talk about it, even these mysterious voices breaking open the veil of heaven or of the sky, whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But then to see this man transfigured before me, like phew, fear, terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though it seems, you know, we read this and say, "Oh gosh, this is their third time to to go over this," and they're still frightened. Like, yeah, I can see a bit of frustration there, and that could be where where a lot of that, uh, where we imply a lot of that from. Mm. But I mean, take a look at our real, like our lived experience. How many times does it take you to actually believe something? Just that once? Well, pff, good on you. Yeah. Not me. No, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Hey, in the same vein, I think one thing that you're saying that, that is very helpful is if you if you draw a line connecting uh, the baptism through the, the gospel of Mark, you get the baptism has that line, which you just said, you know, this is my beloved son. But then you also have that here, the transfiguration. Yeah. But it happens again at the cross. Like at the cross, this is this this truly was the son of God. So with with those three mysteries, you can have a one big connection, you know. Um, where it's the baptism connects through the transfiguration to the cross. And that's the mystery of redemption, is that in our own baptisms, we experience the glory of the resurrection and a death on the cross. Um, yeah, well, I wonder if that's the connection that we're missing. I mean, you you briefly mentioned it in sort of the allegorical sense with the, with the Abraham story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole thing, this whole Christianity, not just the season of Lent, is about the cross, is about that. Right. Good Friday experience leading into Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so how how does that then change our reading of of these scriptures for today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good question. Good question. You know, the resurrection without the cross is not really Christian, you know, and so yeah. that's hard. I mean, I, I'm still kind of spinning a little bit because it seems as rich as Easter readings are, it seems hard to find what one theme is that will draw them together for me. Um, so we'll see. I mean, also you could, you could jump right in with the first line of the reading. This maybe is my parting thought is the first line of the gospel. You have Peter, James, and John, who we're going to see again at the end of Lent, you know, yeah. who will yeah. be at the night of the last supper, the ones who fall asleep, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something there about this, about kind of, again, looking at the, the broader scope and looking at this journey that these concrete figures are going through, 
Peter, James, and John, and looking at the you know how how we are placed in that grand scheme of of salvation history by by putting our own our own applying our own experiences to you know to Abraham and and these other figures as well. Yeah, cool man. Any parting thought? Go pray. All right, buddy. Till next time.